another edition, the latest edition of the Adam Schefter podcast. And before we get into Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs and all the NFL storylines that are out there, first I want to say that we're going to be joined today for this special Father's Day edition of the podcast by a great father-son combination, Ian and Noah Eagle. Ian Eagle has been in the business for over 30 years, does play-by-play for NFL games on CBS. He's the Brooklyn Nets play-by-play voice for Yes, and he'll succeed Jim Nance as the lead play-by-play announcer for CBS and Turner for the NCAA tournament starting in the spring of 2024. As for his son Noah, who's a rising, ascending star, Noah always wanted to follow in his father's footsteps. He was the radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers for the last four years. He's done college football and basketball games for Fox, NFL games for NFL Network, Fox, and Nickelodeon. And starting the season, he will be a play-by-play broadcaster with NBC for its newly acquired Big Ten Saturday night package. They're dominating the broadcast space, the Eagles are, and they are the latest greatest father-son combination following in the steps of men like the Bucks and the Alberts and all the great father-son broadcasters that are out there, Ian and Noah Eagles, stars, and the guests on this week's Adam Schefter podcast. As for the other news, as it pertains to Dalvin Cook, we have the newest entry into the Let's Disrupt Life department. It's a long story tradition for this NFL insider to have that happen. We go back to summer of 2018, a Saturday night in August, when it was my mother-in-law's surprise 71st birthday dinner in upstate New York, and we get a call as she comes to the table for her surprise 75th birthday dinner that Andrew Luck is retiring the next day. And that dinner obviously did not go as planned for a lot of people, me included, and that was a night that we won't ever forget. We could go back to last spring, my son's graduation dinner. About an hour or two after he got his diploma from the University of Michigan, we're celebrating him when the call comes in that the Philadelphia Eagles and Tennessee Titans are completing a trade for Pro Bowl wide receiver A.J. Brown, which led to calls outside, postings on social media. A.J. Brown going to the Eagles is a big thing. And now we have another incident. Last Thursday, my daughter's middle school graduation. Let's keep in mind, there was no graduation for 6th grade because there was a pandemic. The 8th grade graduation was moved from an outdoor field, which would have been nice and open, open air, to inside because of the poor air quality in the New York metropolitan area with the wildfires raging in Canada and smoke and apocalyptic conditions pouring into New York They had to move it inside. And literally as we sit down for the start of the ceremony, the 8th grade graduation of middle school, I get a text that the Minnesota Vikings have informed Dalvin Cook that he's being released. So just as my mother-in-law's surprise 75th birthday dinner was interrupted, just as my son's graduation dinner was interrupted, my daughter's 8th grade graduation was a little bit delayed because we had to get to the Dalvin Cook news post it on social media, follow it to the ESPN news desk and go through all the things that occur whenever there is a notable NFL story like the Vikings moving on from Dalvin Cook, who now is a free agent, who plans to take his time. 
not rush into a decision. Now, that could change very quickly if the right team with the right offer comes along. But Dalvin Cook knows that he's a unique special talent. He's going to wait for the right opportunity. And I think there will be some teams that are interested. I think the Miami Dolphins could have some interest. Chicago Bears would make some sense. They still might be able to use another back, have cap space. I could see Chicago being interested in Dalvin Cook. We'll see if they make a run. And then there are other teams that have running backs that they have to make a decision. Would we rather have our current running back or would we rather have Dalvin Cook? And I think that's some of what each team is going through as it decides whether or not to make a move with a player like Dalvin Cook. So we have that situation as well. As for DeAndre Hopkins, I think in his mind, he'd love to play with one of the quarterbacks that he himself listed, whether that was Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. The problem is those teams currently do not have a huge need at wide receiver or are not willing to pay huge for a great wide receiver. So that leaves him looking at options like Tennessee or New England, and he did not list Ryan Tannehill or Mac Jones as quarterbacks that were atop his list of guys that he wanted to play for. But that might be the situation for DeAndre Hopkins. So he's going to have to decide here whether he wants to take perhaps more money from one of those teams that doesn't have a quarterback that he dreamed about playing with, or whether he wants to wait and take a lower offer from a team that has a great quarterback. And we'll see what ultimately DeAndre Hopkins decides he wants to do. Then, of course, there was the brush fire on Tuesday regarding Stephon Diggs, who Sean McDermott said was not at mandatory minicamp, and he was, quote-unquote, very concerned about his absence. But, as it turns out, Stephon Diggs has been in Buffalo since the start of the mandatory minicamp, underwent a physical, met with the head coach, Sean McDermott, and the general manager, Brandon Bean. So clearly there's something here that's not right. Stephon Diggs is not happy. They're not happy with him. There's some communication issues and more talks that have to occur. But it went from him not being there to the fact that he is there. He's just not at mandatory minicamp. So this is what the offseason is for. For teams and players, unhappy players and teams, to hash through their issues figure out what's wrong, and address them before training camp rolls around later this summer. All right, we've had enough strife, enough disruptions. Let's move on to a personal Father's Day podcast involving two of the great broadcasters in the profession today, two men I have enormous respect for, two men who are great at what they do, the father-son combination of Iron Eagle and Noah Eagle. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off 
your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm here. Uh, all I know is I don't think you've even heard, but my my old room that I grew up in no longer exists. So I need the new house. <laughs> what happened to your old room there, Noah? What is it? A Zen room, Dad? Is that what we're going to call it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say a Zen room. Uh, that, that's a fair way to put it. I would say Noah's mom utilizes that room at a much higher rate than I do. But yeah, yeah, there's been a shift. I, Adam, I, I came home one day. I came home. I'm like, oh, so my stuff's all there. And I, and I think my dad was just go. He just said, uh, no, no, I hate it. It's gone. So when you come <laughs> home now, you can't stay in your old room. No, no, I stay in the guest room now. Yeah, my my right. old room's it's done. You know, it's funny in my house right now. My son came home last night. He lives in the city. So my wife is redoing her closet. She's moved the clothes from her room into <laughs> his room. So he can't stay in his room. So whether... Whether these boys' rooms, these young men's rooms are turned into Zen meditation zones or storage <laughs> facilities, whatever it may be, I think there's a message there, Ian, that they're no longer quite as welcome in their old homes as they once were. I would tell you that there is subtext, but this is very obvious. <laughs> their, their reality is not what it once was. So the idea that you can just pop back in and everything's the same it's not. This is, to me, an example of life in general. This is how you have to deal with life. Not everything is set up perfectly. Now, you got to adjust. Well, and Noah has to adjust because he's now moving home. He had been the radio voice of the Clippers for the last four years, right? He gets the job with NBC for their newly acquired Big Ten Saturday night package. So before I ask you, Noah, about your new job, I'll ask your dad how excited he is to see you get this opportunity that gives you the chance to move back east to watch his son continue to grow in the ranks. On a personal level, Shefty, it's the best. Just the idea that we can grab lunch, that we can hang out, that he will be 35 to 40 minutes away if there's no traffic. Uh, that to me is, is the best part because of course, with his life on the West Coast, there is the reality for him of building a new life and creating a new life. And that's really important and imperative. But we forget what it actually means for the parents, the adjustment of not having your child around and trying to coordinate over the course of the year a chance to maybe see each other a day here, a day there, four days at a time. So this is it's a game changer for for me and my wife and my daughter. Uh, just, uh, it just makes me happy. It, it's really a happy. great Father's Day gift prior to Father's Day. Yeah, right, That takes right. place in early July, although we're going to celebrate Father's Day here upcoming. Yeah, and it also is something where Noah can know this because it's true. I don't have to verbalize it, but it's real. I miss the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the kid. I missed him. You mentioned being in the same place at the same time and whatnot. Did it ever happen that the two of you 
had been in the same arena for the same event the same time before? Yeah. Yeah, we've done it now a couple times, which is I, I don't want to say that it's become normal because it really hasn't. Every time it happens, every time that we've done a game, dating back to the first time it happened when I was in college as a junior, a Syracuse at Miami game. And Syracuse, big win on the bubble at the time, eventually made a big run to the Sweet 16 that year. But that was a necessary one. Lonnie Walker was leading that Miami Hurricanes team. And the really special part about that was it wasn't just me and my dad in the building together. It was me, my dad, my mom, my grandparents all there. And the fact that he was doing the game with Bill Raftery, who was one of his first broadcast partners that really shepherded him into the broadcasting world and and showed him the ropes in a lot of ways and, and showed him what it meant to be a great partner and someone that I've known really since I was born. So to have that be the first time was extra special. And then since then, you know, with the Clippers, anytime that he got a Clipper game, it was easy. It was simple. So I don't know, probably about five, six Clipper games over the last couple of years where we happen to be in the same arena. And it, it always feels like the first time, which is cool. And Adam, very few people, very few people know this. Bill Raftery was in the delivery room when Noah was born. No, he, he <laughs> really close. That's a <laughs> onions. The kids, right? Yelling out onions at the time. Ooh, major right? onions. That would have been yeah. something. Noah, how much of your style would you say came from studying your dad, or just things being observed and? basically morphing into your style, seeping into your style, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I think that's natural when you're around somebody as often as I was forced to be around him. Forced? Naturally, yeah, forced. I mean, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> this was not a hostage situation. <laughs> I beg to differ. I don't know. The dinner table could get real hostile every now. No, I, I think that when you're around someone as much as I was and you respect them, even more so, uh, it just is natural to, to have that osmosis feel where he never sat me down and said, hey, here's what you need to do X, Y, Z to become this great broadcaster. It was more so I just watched him. I watched how he interacted with people. I watched how he carried himself, how he prepared. And then, you know, he would give me tips, especially when I asked him. And as I got more into it and immersed myself in it, when I got to college, then that's when it only grew and that, that bond strengthened. But I do think that a lot of what I do comes from him. And then I try to put my own spin on it. And that's, I mean, the key of, of anything you do, especially in a performance-based aspect of a job, you want to make sure that you're still being true to yourself. And so I can't put a percentage on it, but I'd say a, a vast majority of what I do is just a derivative of, of what he's brought to the table. And Ian, when did you know that what you have done for a living so well for so long has seeped into your son and that he really had the chance to become who he is now in this broadcasting business. Yeah, people would ask Noah at a young age, do you want to be a broadcaster like your dad? And he wouldn't often answer with a direct yes. He would work around the subject. He might say, yeah, maybe I have my own ideas of what I might want to do. There was a stretch where he was telling people that he wanted to be a television dentist, which isn't even a job. I don't, I don't know what that even is. I think he saw Dr. Phil and thought 
he could maybe bring some insight from the dentistry side. People, people the- want to see molars get filled on a Wednesday <laughs> at two. <laughs> so even now, Noah clearly thinks that there is a market for this job that still is untapped entirely. Uh, I would say later in high school, he started really considering it. Sophomore, junior year, it would come up in conversation. And then when he started looking at schools, it was with broadcast in mind. But what I did notice, even throughout the years, when I was preparing for games, when I was doing stand-ups prior to the game, if he accompanied me to uh, an NFL game, an NBA game, a college game, he was very observant and not necessarily on the obvious things, really more observant on some of the small nuances of what you do just before you go on camera or what you do when your partner is speaking and how you handle that interaction. And that to me said that he was going a little deeper in his analysis of what this is all about, not just what do you use to describe something or how do you create a chart or a template for preparation. If this was much more layered in a way, and that's when I thought he might have the Do you get an example of a time that you saw him observing you and it stayed with you and you said to my, you said to yourself, this is different? Yeah, so one time in particular when the Nets made a huge deal, they acquired Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, and Noah came with me to the press conference. We were hosting locally in New York on Yes, a huge show ushering in this new generation. And that meant interviews with all of the individuals, the GM, the coach, you name it. And we had to drive to Brooklyn. We drove back. And afterwards, he's asking me questions very specific to the interview process. He noticed me making small talk with each of them before we got on camera. I didn't know Kevin Garnett. I didn't know Paul Pierce. I didn't know these individuals. And now you've got to make it feel as if you know one another and that there's a familiarity. And his questions were very specific to that, making someone comfortable and how you do that. And I thought to myself, okay, that's that's next level. That wasn't just uh, how did you do this. It was what was the thought process behind uh, making sure everybody felt good about this. And Noah, what did you pick up from your dad all those times going out with him? Maybe after that particular blockbuster trade that did in the Nets for a while. But what did you pick up from your dad during those times that he's referring to? Well, first and foremost, that particular story, he mentioned he had never met Kevin Garnett, but it was it was a quick I would say comfortability factor when I heard Kevin Garnett go, that voice, I, that voice, I know that voice. Now, and he was like, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's kind of what I do for a living. So I, I hope that you would know the voice. And that continued, I would say, for the, what, year and a half that he was with the team and around, I think that you just became the voice or that voice, whatever it was. Yeah, 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 that's, that's all he, and there, there were expletives that led into, yeah. it was, that MF voice yeah, was yeah. the consistent label, right. and that here he gave, I, which I was cool with. You were great it with worked. it. I, I was great with it too as a 15, 16 year old off to the side. I'm like, okay, yeah, my dad is that MF voice. Nice. So that was the first thing I picked up in that situation. But overall, I think 
one of the, the the nuances that he speaks to is as an on camera, right? That that first on camera you do before a game, that stand up when you're interacting with your partner. And then this is something he explained to me. I think when I eventually asked, what it's not just a two way conversation. I recognize that he made it a three way conversation, essentially the same as if you were at a summer barbecue and you're amongst three people, you're not just going to focus and, and make eye contact with one of them. You're going to make eye contact with both of them and make them feel both included and make everybody in the conversation feel included. So to do that, you have to look at your partner and look at the camera and give them even time. And so it was something that I picked up. And then again, we went deeper when I, I probably asked a little bit more of it, but I think that was a, a good example of just one thing that, that always stood out to me and something I always recognized he did. And then the more important one, Adam, and, and I mean, you know this because you're in all these environments and you cult cultivate great relationships, but what always was particularly important to him and then as a matter of fact to me as well was how he interacted with people away from the screen, not just his partners, not just people who were part of the production crew, but every single person that came by anytime I went to a game with him their face lit up when they saw him. And I said, okay, so that's the X factor. The X factor is, okay, can you connect? Can you take it on a deeper level, personal level? Can you remember facts that they tell you about themselves and take a genuine interest in them? And so that's what I, I think I took more than anything as the, the top priority. If I'm going to do this is I got to make sure that I do the same thing. So Ian wins the 2022 National Sportscaster of the Year Award. But when did you know, Noah, that he is the superstar that is your dad? How long did it take you to recognize that? About how old were you? Yeah, probably a little while, I think, because it was just so normal when I would wake up and, or I guess not wake up, but get home from school and see him on TV doing a Nets game or wake up on a Sunday and see him doing a Cincinnati Bengals game. I just, it was normal for me. It was, it was no different than if your parent is a dentist and you're going to the dentistry office. I do have some weird obsession with it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Clearly, you, you I, like teeth. I do. I, I listen, my teeth are good. I make sure I take care of them. So I, I do think that that was like anything else. It was just very normal in our household. So I, I would say probably when I was about 12, 13, getting into that middle school range and he started to get really high profile events and he started to to have some calls that stuck and especially then when social media became real and he goes trending then you go okay so it's a little different there's a there's a level above a step above so I, over time you recognize it and then certainly once i got into it myself and especially in college when i really immersed myself in this profession and, and set my sights on it I recognize just how good at it he was and it has been his entire career and just how much of a great role model I've been lucky to have. So it's been a process, but it's always felt normal and he's made himself feel normal. So I think that's the biggest key in all of it. Well, let me say this. Let me interject on behalf of both of you. Right. And for anyone who doesn't know who is listening, Ian has done play by play for NFL games on CBS. He's the Brooklyn Nets play by play voice for Yes. And he'll succeed Jim Nance as the lead play-by-play -play announcer for CBS and Turner for the NCAA tournament starting next year. Noah is in a situation where, and I said this to you, I believe, in December, Ian, and I really mean this. If I could buy stock in a young broadcaster, <laughs> I would buy as much stock in Noah Eagle as I possibly could. And that is about as high a compliment as I could pay to somebody, because I always remember when I was in Denver... 
And there was one guy when I'm just a cub reporter and I'm trying to make my way who always would tell people if I could buy stock in Adam Schefter, I would. And I don't know why he said that. And I don't know what basis he had for that because there was none. But I always remembered that and it stayed with me. And I've never said that about anybody else until I've seen Noah. And I would love to buy stock in Noah. So what is it like for each of you, knowing how great you each are, to watch the <laughs> other one, like when you're watching your dad do the tournament this year, in the final four, the first guy to do that in a long time other than Jim Nance, or you, I, when you're watching Noah on Big Ten Saturday Night Packages this upcoming fall on NBC, what is it like for each of you to watch the other? Well, Adam, first of all, when you told me that about Noah, I relayed that to him. And I felt like it was insider trading, <laughs> that there was a problem there. I was not supposed to be talking about this stock, and then boom, I mentioned it. No, that was incredibly nice for you to say, and I hope you realize uh, how much that meant when, when you did say it. Look, for me, it's twofold. It's the pride of a dad and the fact that my son enjoys what he does for a living and is thriving in it, that makes everything secondary in life. That means everything. But there's the other part of it, and that's just being a viewer and knowing what it takes to be prepared for these events, to go out there and perform and do it at a high level. So there's a relatability that goes well beyond the father-son dynamic. We now have commonality that only a few can truly connect. And that's brought our relationship to an entirely different level because there's just stuff that only you would know if you've been in that situation. So that part of it is immeasurable and uh, the pride factor and the nervousness that comes into that as well, because it's still your kid. Any way you slice it, it's still your child. And it doesn't matter how old you are and it doesn't matter how old they are. I, I remember growing up and putting the pieces together that Harry Carey was Skip Carey's dad. Skip Carey was on TBS. He was doing the Braves. He was doing NFL at one point. He was doing NBA. And his dad was Harry Carey, one of the most well-known baseball announcers in the country. And I just thought to myself, how cool is that, that they share this bond? Then, he's a little older than me, Chip Carey comes around. He's a third-generation Carey broadcaster. And then I got to know Chip when he was doing the Orlando Magic. I got the Nets job. And it just blew my mind that you could have three generations doing this job. Now we've seen it quite a bit. You know, Marv and Kenny Albert and Jack Buck and Joe Buck. And you can go on and on and on. There have been so many of them. Uh, but that's that's another level of understanding and uh, relatability that uh, I just never dreamed. Of. And you know, watching your dad. Well, I think he hit the key word, and that was pride. And I, I should also say the the kind words by you, very much appreciated, and and very much heartfelt. And will stick with me until I can pass that stock on to whoever the next person that deserves it is. And. It's going to take a while. I feel like I really got to hold on to that. I feel like that's a big deal. So I'll see what I can do. But no, I, I think it's the pride factor. Every time I, I watch him doing a big game, 
if it's in the NBA playoffs or if it is the NCAA tournament or even if it's just a random Nets game in the middle of the season on a Wednesday, if there's a big call, I think the first time I remember just that immense feeling of being proud was there was a, a Joe Johnson buzzer beater. I think he knows where this one's going. And Jerry Seinfeld was in the crowd. It was against the Detroit Pistons, double overtime. Joe Johnson stepped back on Tayshawn Prince, one of the best defenders in the NBA, and just knocks down a three ball at the at the horn to win it. And he used uh, – that was real and that was spectacular. And that was one of the first times where people were coming up to me like, that was amazing. That was incredible. And so I think there's this sense for me because it's it's what I do as well and it's something that I'm aspiring to continue to get better at every time I put the microphone and the headset on. I just want to improve at least 1% as what I did before. And so I, I listen to him in the moment. And I think, man, this guy's so good. I know I'm related to him. I know that I've been around him my whole life, but he's so good at it. It's, it's incredible. So there are times where I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to that. And then there are other times where I say, okay, this is what I'm striving for is to eventually reach his level. But there is always that pride factor. And which with each assignment that comes comes his way, I think that only grows. And so the admiration, the love and the, and the, the pride that comes with it is only going to continue to grow. But I love it. And the other part that he mentioned as well, which is 100% true for him, is having fun. And I think that's what always stands out when he's on the air is how much fun he's had along the way. It, two things strike me. One, I always got a kick out of times Noah would relay to me the things that his classmates would mention to him, you know, going back fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, kids would come up to him and say, oh, your dad said this. And they weren't always the obvious ones. They were sometimes very subtle ones. There was one in particular, and Noah will know where I'm going with this, but Nene, if you oh, remember yeah. him, Denver Adam, gets forward. excellent big man. Well, yes, yes, yes. Well-traveled, but certainly had an impact in the NBA. He had a block shot, and I said on the call, Nene, no, no. <laughs> very simple, very quick, very easy. And I, I didn't belabor it. You move on with the call. You have no idea if anybody gets it. And I don't know, the next day Noah comes home and said, Kirk Geller cannot <laughs> stop talking about Nene Nano. I was like, really? He said, oh, he, he must have mentioned it 10 times, <laughs> 10 times today. So that, that obviously sticks with you through the years. And then the second part, look, listening, driving back, because it was a West Coast game, I'm on the East Coast, to my son calling a Clippers game, by himself, no analyst, four years without an analyst. It's all him. My wife, Elisa, and I would marvel at the conversations that he would have with himself. Yeah. He came up with mechanisms in which to ask himself questions in a very conversational way and then answer them on the air as he was going. And he would get from point A to point B to point C. And I would think to myself... I don't think I could do this. <laughs> I don't believe that I could do what he's doing. And he did it for four years. And I marveled at it. The command that he had in that role, it just blew me away. Why the hell did the Clippers not have an analyst? Were they tried? Were they, <laughs> was this cutbacks? Were they trying to save money no, to pay for the new no. arena? What was the deal? 
No, it's just how it's been. It's just how they've always done it. And there's a handful of teams around the NBA that do it that way. And then wow. if you're a solo act, it, the, the best part for me is that most people who talk to themselves in that manner are labeled crazy. And somehow I got praised. So it was great. <laughs> he's the, he's a walking Bill Frieder just doing the game. <laughs> yeah, <right>? exactly. <laughs> that. Uh, that did happen, Adam, as you know. There was a moment where I saw Bill Frieder walking through the Phoenix airport, and I just assumed that he was on a phone call with a wireless headset. And then I realized as I was getting ready for a red eye, uh, he was not on any phone call. Talking to himself. Talking to himself. The way yes. that, no, he was talking to himself for four years yes. during the Clippers Great games. guy. Exactly. Wonderful guy. He was a broadcast partner of mine with Westwood. Loved him. Enjoyed his company. Really, truly great guy. But he was 100% having a conversation with himself in the Phoenix area. <laughs> but did you get to listen to Noah on the call for the Vikings' 33-point comeback against the Colts last season in that Saturday game, Ian? Adam, I did. I heard every last second of that game because I was home. I think maybe I had a Jet or Giant game. The next day, so I was around, I was in my house, and as the game was going sideways, the one thing I texted Noah at halftime was, don't give up on the game, and then second, start loading up (laughs) storylines just in case this thing gets more one-sided. That was my only advice. And then I didn't text again, and I think Noah texted back, Yep, I'm on it. Something to that effect. Like really quick to the point. And then it turns into uh, one of the most memorable games in NFL history. And my phone is blowing up. I can only imagine what Noah's phone was doing at that point. And really proud of the way he and Nate and the broadcast crew handled it. That was That's a once-in-a-lifetime moment. I said to him, dude, you could do the NFL for 25 years and you'll never get a game like that. So just remind yourself of that every now and again. You never know when you show up at a stadium, at an arena, at a facility, if that's the game that's going to go down in historic proportions. What do you remember about that game, Noah? Well, a lot, a lot. The first thing is he kind of mentioned it, but he barely ever texts me any sort of guidance during a broadcast. Generally, my dad will just let me do my thing. And then after the fact, if we discuss it, then we might talk through some things. So the fact that he was texting me made me realize just how bad the game might be going, like just how crazy lopsided it actually was. Because in the moment, Nate and I were kind of looking at each other like, oh, you know, it could get somewhat interesting. And then he texted me and go, ooh, that's not, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Maybe this could get really out of hand. So I, I appreciated him reaching out and, and just checking in. It also made me realize that regardless of what happened, I was going to have at least one viewer. So that motivated me to keep going as well. <laughs> Actually, the other thing that really helped me, Adam, was in my four years with the Clippers, they had some of the craziest comebacks in NBA history. We had a 35-point comeback in Washington, which was the second largest in the history of the league. They were down 25 in game six of the second round two years ago and came back to beat the number one seed and advance to the conference finals. They had come back from 20 or more, I think five times in the previous season. So there was a part of me that that always just had in the back of my mind, nah, you never know, you just kind of never know how it might go. But at halftime, Nate and I looked at each other and went through a couple of the storylines we thought we were probably going to have to hit. And then we said, all right, we'll give it the first few series of the third quarter, see how it goes. And if it doesn't get any better, then we'll start really emptying the clip. 
but it, it did. And credit to really the entire Vikings team, coaching staff, players for believing, for feeding off the crowd that stayed there, by the way. That was the other thing that I had never been to U.S. Bank Stadium. So for me, to have that be the experience of not only them clinching the division, but the largest comeback ever, and to see them not leave, to see every fan stay was extra special. So uh, certainly a moment I'll never forget, and I'm looking forward to the next comeback that I get of 34 points, which will be great. And how much do you draw upon the comebacks that you call with the Clippers in a game like that? A decent amount, honestly, because it's it's really the mechanics of the broadcast itself. Obviously a different sport, obviously different circumstances, but in terms of how you ramp it up, using your voice, using your tone, a lot of it was similar. And so I just knew, okay, even if they start coming back, I can't get too excited too quickly because I'm going to need to eventually ramp it all the way, get to that to that top mode, that top level of excitement and exuberance and enthusiasm. So it was it was great for me because if I hadn't had those experiences, I probably would have topped out too quickly and I would have ran out of real estate. Now, you mentioned dads before, Ian. How much of your sense of humor is drawn from Jack Eagle, your dad, the Borscht Belt comedian who was the monk in the IBM commercials? Xerox. Xerox. Um, Excuse me. It paid for Syracuse, (laughs) so we got to give up all the praise to Xerox. Yeah, uh, basically all of it. Uh, I mean... My dad was a hilarious guy, naturally funny, could change the dynamic in a room when he walked in, could change the mood that a person had prior to interacting with him based on his likability and his effervescence and his humor, but was very deep as a human being, was very professorial in his approach to life. So had these two different worlds to him that had a a major impact on me. My mom was a singer, an actress, was his opening act. So they met, met 1968 in the Playboy Club, Chicago. She opened for him. And that was the beginning of the relationship. And you could do the math. (laughs) I came along... Not not long after, in February of 1969, and uh, you know the rest, as they say, is is history. But I had a very, very uh, different kind of upbringing. Uh, my parents were on the road a great deal. Parents got di- divorced, but they were separated by. 1979, 10 years old. My mom was living in LA full time. My dad was on the road 225 days a year as not just a stand-up comedian, but as the monk for Xerox, literally on the road doing shows at Kinko's and large openings where Xerox was was putting their machines in uh, major corporations. And he would show up as Brother Dominic in the monk outfit, they would get a local TV station, newspaper to cover it. It would be uh, a celebration, a bonanza. And because he had skills as a comedian, he would make a day of it. It would become a happening in every town. Lexington, Kentucky, boom, happening. Akron, Ohio, happening. And I was in Forest Hills 
growing up. With who? Basically with, who? with, with a live-in maid. Wow. That was it. Wow. Uh, yeah, crazy. So uh, we had uh, Enid Duncan, then we had Marcia Amaya, then we had Elsa Nunez. This was the, uh, the evolution of who I was basically living with on a full-time basis. So I was very independent at an incredibly young age, and it forced me to grow up and grow up very quickly. But with that said, the impact that my parents had on me, they were so empowering in their belief that I would be able to do whatever I wanted to do. And when I told them at a young age that I wanted to do this, they said, well, you'll do it. So when you're told as a kid, eight years old, that you can do it, you believe it. All those years, I believed it. And this was not exactly a job that, as you know, Adam, we're similar age. This was not exactly a job that uh, was considered a home run as a kid. In the 70s, 80s, it was like, well, you want to do that? You got a better shot being a TV dentist. Why would you do that? <laughs> so, so where did that desire to become a sportscaster come from as you're being raised by this litany of women in Forest Hills? Like, where does that come from? <laughs> it didn't come from them. I can tell you that. They, they knew nothing. They were not interested in the New York Mets and Doug Flynn and Lenny Randall and Guillermo Montanez and uh, Jackson Todd and John Stearns and Lee Mazzilli and on and on and on. They had no interest. I was, I was Bill Frieder. I was talking to myself <laughs> in those moments in my room doing mock play-by-play -play with baseball cards and studying the baseball encyclopedia cover to cover. And it was a passion. And my parents saw that it was more than just a phase, that I was serious about it. And I was fascinated by Marv Albert and Bob Murphy and Al Michaels. That ilk truly was providing the impetus for me to, to want to do this. So I just, I just thought it sounded like a cool job. And... Even being a fan, I could delineate and differentiate between reacting as a fan and listening to what was actually being broadcast and taking mental notes as to how different broadcasters handle different situations. It, it was uh, everything to me. I, I, just, I just put all my eggs in one basket. <laughs> That's it. I had no backup plan whatsoever. So when you're doing that in Forest Hills and you start that out at eight years old before you wind up going to Syracuse, what is the path to get to where you are today? How does that happen? Were you doing internships as a young boy? You were not tracking somebody the way Noah tracked you to arenas and stadiums. You didn't have that advantage, right? So what were some of the key steps to help propel you along that path? Adam, I uh, broadcast in my shower. That was it. Wow. Really good acoustics. <laughs> yep. There was a lot going on in there. And <laughs> I felt very comfortable in that. You, see, you said that a lot. I really, I never asked you the specifics. Was it like, and he grabs the dove and uses it on the left <laughs> arm? Like, what was it exactly? Yeah, it was. It was play by play. It was post game commentary. Okay, it was the whole nine and yards. now I, he's going uh, through puberty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a yeah. big moment. Uh, that right. was 1982. Was yeah, no, Adam, were you there? <laughs> you are truly an insider. You know shit that nobody else knows. Oh, 
Uh, yeah, the the reality is there was no place to do it. I didn't have a forum in which to do it. And the schools that I went to didn't really have a place to other than uh, maybe performing in school plays and uh, productions of Sing. That was a big thing in Forest Hills back in the day. You write and perform and direct your own shows. That was it. And everything was based on a dream and a focus and a belief, maybe blind faith and youthful naivete that I would be able to do this. I showed up at Syracuse thinking, yeah, I can do this. Why not? Why not me? That was really the, the, the basic credo that I had when I showed up in 1986 at Syracuse. And it's so different today. Uh, you just have so many more avenues in which to try things and fail at them. Uh, I just didn't have that at my at my fingers. As opposed to Noah showing up at Syracuse some, what, 30 years later, 35 years? I don't know how many years later after you. 30, I guess, probably about 30. What was your freshman year? Was 2000. I saw 29, 29 years, 29 years. Right, and, your, and your dad's got to be well-known within the Newhouse School of Communication when you For show sure. up there, right, Noah? For sure, yeah. Like, they they, they, they they didn't know about his puberty days, but they knew no. about his broadcasting days. Well, you, you'd be surprised walking the halls of Newhouse 3, the, the crevices of what they can find in there. But, no, I, I, that was – it was funny because when I was looking at schools at first, the first school I looked at was Syracuse. I went, I visited, spring break my junior year of high school – Got shown around campus by a number of people, including Jason Benetti, who is still working there as an adjunct professor on top of his broadcasting abilities. Jay Alter with ESPN, who was a student at the time, showed me around. So I got a, I got a really good view of the school, but I vividly remember my mom drove me there. We drove back and 15 minutes into the ride home, she looked at me and she said, so what you think? Keep in mind, my parents met there freshman year and they've known each other ever since. So... Obviously, the, the orange is in the blood, and I grew up a Syracuse fan. But she asked me, and I said, I, I don't think I can go here. I just, I just don't think I can do it. And I think in the back of my head, it was, I don't want to be the same. I want to be my own person. I want to feel like I at least explored my options. So went and viewed a variety of other schools, visited places all over the country. And then right before my senior year of high school, we went back there. And again, with my mom, and she said, forget going on the, the official tour. And he, she goes, I'm showing you my tour. We're doing my tour. I'm bringing you to the places you would actually go as a student. And after that, after seeing the facilities, after seeing some of the other places, too, and being able to compare a little bit more, same deal, 15 minutes into the ride home, she, she looked at me and said, well, what do you think this time? And I said, I, I have to come here. Early decision. I'm going to apply. And sure enough, that's what happened. But for the first two years that I was there, I never attach my last name to anything. If I introduced myself, it was as if I was Madonna or Cher. I was just Noah, period, at the end. You know, it was it. I just didn't want that to be what I was known as. I didn't want it to be the initial, immediate, oh, wait a second, are you? Oh, yeah, no. Didn't want it. And I think the best thing that happened to me was after those two years, I felt like I at least established myself and, and proved that I was going to have great work ethic. I was going to do all the same things as everybody else. I wasn't going to skip any steps. I wasn't going to do any of it. After that, my dad sat me down that summer going into my junior year and basically told me, you know, great that you did what you did. There's nothing wrong with how you've done it so far. But don't be ashamed of who you are. 
embrace who you are. It's a good thing of who you are. Everyone's going to see you for what you are eventually as long as you keep doing you. So don't don't shy away from it. And that was the best thing that happened because once I embraced it, I really felt like things clicked in more. And it also made me realize I should be proud of who I am. He's done so much good, not just on screen or on camera or on the air, but especially with how he's mentored young broadcasters, how he's handled himself in every environment, as mentioned before, how he treats everybody. I should be proud of that. And so when I really realized that, I think that's when everything else accelerated. Ian, has anybody ever said to you or recognize you as Jack Eagle's son? Has that ever happened to you all along the way? <laughs> oh, yeah. Big time. Uh, there's a yo, yeah, there's a certain demographic right. that will still mention you're Jack Eagle's kid. And that's the best. The bad. Now I'm also starting to get, hey, are you Noah Eagle's dad? So that I'm good with both. I uh, honestly, I, I if I had to retire tomorrow and go to a deserted island and just drink uh, tropical beverages, I'd be fine. I'm I'm cool with with both right now. And uh, the fact that Noah recognized where I was coming from in that conversation and then acted on it. It's one thing to give your kid advice. It's another for them to actually use it. And in, in his case, I just wanted him to know, hey, don't be ashamed. It's okay. The, the Eagle last name is a positive thing. And I get it. And I fully understood what you needed to navigate through in, in two years. But I said, you're going into your junior year and you're starting to hit a different point of life where uh, you're going to you're going to have to go by your full name at some point. So unless you're looking to change your name entirely, uh, Noah Eagle, that's what you got. Were you, were you concerned about the nepotism kind of thing, Noah? Is that what you were trying to avoid? Uh, yeah, I think I think that was part of it. It wasn't even necessarily at the forefront of my mind. I just think it, it went back to realizing my parents met at the school and wanting to just have my own thing and wanting to be my own person altogether. So I think it was less about that and more about just being almost your own single entity. But sure, I think it creeps in a little bit. And then eventually I just I just gave that stuff up and I realized if I if I do the work myself and I keep showing up and performing and I keep treating people the right way, the rest will take care of itself and eventually people will recognize me for who I am. And so I think that was the turning point, that conversation we had the summer going into junior year and I haven't looked back and that was exactly what he said was exactly what was essentially the point of the conversation was, I don't want you ever introducing yourself as Noah anymore. He said, anytime you shake someone's hand, you should say, I'm Noah Eagle and say it with your chest and, and look them in the eye and, and be confident and happy about it. And really, every time I've introduced myself, if I meet someone at the bar, I go, I'm Noah Eagle, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm in it. <laughs> Well, why don't you start introducing yourself as Erin Eagle's sister, uh, yeah. being that she's got a lot more social media followers right. than either of you. Ian's not even on social media. He's social media inept, basically. And Noah's got some followers, <laughs> yeah. but not nearly as many as Erin within these genes. Oh, she's killing right? it. Like, she is the social media star of the family. She's killing it. I Listen, I don't know... I, She's the tech one altogether. You guys saw my tech struggles already today. It took me a while just to get on this call. So, yes, she is. I 100% agree. It's funny. When people know all four of us, my mom, my sister, and then the two of us, they always say, how is it that you two are the least cool of your family? And I go, I, 
you're absolutely correct. I don't I don't know how it happened, but it just happened. It's just how it is. And Shefty, you should know, it's not just in these genes for Aaron. She has started two other accounts that have blown up from zero, from nothing. A style set and a style set man. So I don't know if you're looking to maybe shift yeah. your style for the 2023 football season. Log on, check out a style set man, and you will keep up with the times. You will now know what to wear in order to be at the level that you're expected to so be. Is she at. a stylist, an actual stylist? Well, she's an influencer. An influencer. I, I don't. Okay. I don't believe the term stylist is is really what I would describe her as at this point. She she influences. Other people, not me or Noah, but others. <laughs> well, well, what would it take to influence you to open an Instagram account, Ian? <laughs> it's not going to happen. happen. I've gotten this far without it. Like I feel, I you know, the term you used was was social media inept. <laughs> no, 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 no. I understand how to use it. I can get on it. Yeah, I just let don't me, participate. Let me help him out. Here. I'm a You'll lawyer. Never find him on there. That's how. That's how apt he is. No. He's quite apt, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm apt. A hundred percent apt. Boy, the things I learned today, unbelievable. I learned that Noah is inept at Google Chrome. <laughs> Very much so. I learned that I right. is apt at social media, just doesn't want to be on there. I learned that Kirk Geller is nay nay no no forevermore. <laughs> and I learned that Ian basically found his broadcasting roots by going through puberty. Unbelievable. Tremendous. Amazing. This was this was this was almost a a religious experience. <laughs> uh, think about what, what's been uncovered and uncorked in this conversation. Well, I want to thank both of you. And I figured with this being Father's Day week, it would be a great opportunity to get in an established star, a rising star, two men that I have great respect for. And again, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for that. Enjoy your Father's Day together. Noah, welcome back east here soon enough and enjoy each other's company. And thank you very much again. Adam, thank you. Thanks for giving me the best Father's Day gift I, I could have gotten, uh, truly, just to, to interact with Noah. He doesn't really take my calls, so. <laughs> Time change. Time change is this difficult. Was nice. You know, there's a slight difference there. No, Adam, this was awesome. I, I really appreciate having both of us on and allowing us to do this. This this was really cool. And yeah, I learned some things too. I'm going to have to really have, maybe I will take one of those phone calls just so we can have a deeper discussion as to what that <laughs> puberty process looked like. But outside of that, uh, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I will make sure my Google Chrome is up to date from now on, which is good. Eagleman, thank you very much. Appreciate it. How great are Ian and Noah Eagle? And I really mean this. I said that to Noah when I saw him last December in person. I wish I could buy stock in Noah Eagle because Noah Eagle is going to be a giant in this industry the same way that Ian is a giant in this industry. But to have Noah's future, woof, that is very, very bright. So thank you to the Eagles for their time. And I hope that they, like you all, have a tremendous Father's Day. All right, and there are some congratulations in order. I want to congratulate the Denver Nuggets on winning their first NBA title in 47 years. Now, I lived in that city, Denver, for almost 16 years, and I went to a lot of Nuggets games, and I saw that franchise have some unbelievable moments with some great players. David Thompson, Dan Issel, Fat Lever, LaFonso Ellis, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. There were some great Nuggets teams. None of them ever won a championship the way that this one did. And I was so happy 
for that organization and that city to be able to experience that. And I thought that there was a similarity between the Nuggets' first championship and the Denver Broncos' first championship in the 1997 season. Everybody remembers John Elway doing that helicopter in Super Bowl 32 against the Green Bay Packers. And when he did that, as soon as he did that, you knew that the Broncos were winning the Super Bowl. And when Nikola Jokic made that falling away three-point shot against the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals when Anthony Davis looked over to him and could not believe that he made that shot. You knew from the moment he made that, they were winning the West and they were going to go on and win the NBA Finals, which is exactly what happened. And it was a tremendous moment for that organization, for that city, for everybody involved. And I remember so many playoff disappointments and failures. And it was really nice on Monday night to see that franchise come through. Congratulations to Mike Breen, the ABC ESPN play-by-play man who broadcasted his 100th, 100th NBA Finals game. And so on a podcast where we're featuring great broadcasters in Ian and Noah Eagle, Mike Breen, also a legendary figure in the sport, a man that has been the voice of the NBA Finals a hundred times over. That is quite the accomplishment for an outstanding man and an outstanding broadcaster. Congratulations to Mike Breen. And one more congratulations while we're offering them. Congratulations to Roger Clemens. Now, you might say Roger Clemens. Yes, Roger Clemens, who was honored Monday in Detroit at a golf tournament for charity that I went to held by the Michigan Jewish Sports Foundation for the 32nd annual Hank Greenberg Memorial Golf and Tennis Invitational. They honored Roger Clemens with the Hank Greenberg Lifetime Achievement Award. I was at that ceremony, and I was given the Dick Schapp Memorial Award for Excellence in Media. Uh, Jeremy Schapp, Dick's son, presented it to me, and Dick Schapp was one of the two or three figures in journalism that I idolized and revered and was thrilled to get that award, and it meant even more coming from Jeremy. But we went to dinner Sunday night, Jeremy and I did, with some of the people on the board of the Michigan Jewish Sports Foundation with Roger Clemens. And it was very funny because I had said to Jeremy, I'd never met Roger Clemens before, what kind of guy is he? And he's, Jeremy's like, I, you know, I, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. I don't know what we're going to get. You know, it could be a little mixed. Well, we sat down and had a two-and-a-half, three-hour dinner with Roger Clemens on Sunday night. That guy is gracious, kind, nice, thoughtful, great storyteller, great memory. Loved being with him. He won the Hank Greenberg Lifetime Achievement Award and wanted to congratulate him. Loved spending time with him. And he's a huge Raiders fan. He wants to come out to the Monday Night Football game in Las Vegas, Raiders-Packers, and so we may be seeing Roger Clemens again at that Monday night game in Las Vegas. And one of his four boys is a huge Packers fan. I think his youngest boy, Cody, who had the game-winning hit last week, is a big Packers fan. So we are not done with the Clemens family. Enjoyed our friendship and relationship with him this past weekend. And congratulations to him on that award. So we got congratulations for the Nuggets, for Mike Breen, for Roger Clemens, and for all the fathers out there on this Father's Day. We want to thank Ian and Noah Eagle for their time. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott, and thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back in this space with more information, insight, interviews. Until then, have a great Father's Day. Be well and stay safe.